Well, take of your wood your Bibles and turn to Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter 19 this morning. I originally planned on looking at uh, both Luke 19 and Matthew 25 and uh, just looking at the notes I have here with me. I realize we're not going to get to Matthew 25, okay? So we're going to be in Luke. Uh, we're going to be looking at uh, the context of Luke and uh, reading through that as well as a few other passages. But if you turn there, you might ask, what brings us to, to Luke 19 this morning? The truth is, is as we looked at um, just senior recognition, which we're going to look at some of the graduates this year here in a minute, um, and think about that milestone of an accomplishment in many ways, a future lay ahead of those. You hear those words, well done. And, and we've probably heard this in Scripture before, a well done, good and faithful servant. And you would think that maybe it's all over the place. Uh, from my reading of Scripture, it's actually only in two. It's in Luke 19 and Matthew 25. And so my desire this morning is to, to look at that. Look at when we think about graduate recognition, uh, maybe the recognition that we get before our Lord when we stand before Him. There's this threshold that's out there we know is coming, and we work towards that end, I hope, diligently. Um, But when we think about those words, well done, the Master saying, well done, and being exclusive, a picture to two of Jesus' parables. You know, I think about the importance of considering that even as we settle our hearts before the word, thinking about these few graduates, which I'd like to share with you, by the way, and I haven't asked them to walk the, the walk of, I don't know if it's shame or maybe it's embarrassment is the better word, you know, where we ask them, oh, we're going to graduate, now you get to walk up here and everyone gets to look at you and oh, no, we're going to do, we're going to highlight them and we're going to embarrass them later in the refinery afterwards, so don't worry, um, but just not as bad, but a couple of um, graduates this year, really four. And when we talk about well done, we think about the work that led up to this point. The first one this morning I want to share with you is is Alyssa Stuckey, uh, graduating from Vestal High School. And uh, she's going to actually be looking at um, going to childhood education major down at Clark Summit University. And we asked each of uh, the graduates to share with us uh, some of those spiritual mentors in their life. And it was very interesting, those that they, they shared with us. And of course, uh, there's many more of you that have had impact on each of them, so don't feel left out. Uh, but very specifically, she shared that both Carrie Arquette and Kim Brown uh, had a big impact in, in her life, and we're very thankful for that. Also graduating this year, and remember, we will um, highlight them and embarrass them more specifically in the refinery here uh, in an hour or so. But uh, Angelina Miller is graduating from Union um, Endicott High School, UE. And she also is going to be looking at uh, moving on um, to environmental science and is going to be looking at Houghton College. But she had a number of spiritual mentors, including um, her grandfather and pastors here, as well as a teacher. And sometimes we forget how much of an impact we can have in various roles. Uh, We pray that each of our efforts connect. Um, and as well with, with Ashlyn Middendorf, another one of our graduates this year, um, graduating from Owego Free Academy, is going to be looking at childhood education as well and uh, going to Cortland. You have an opportunity to encourage her and ask you to do that. And she mentioned that her mom has been one of the biggest spiritual inputs in her life. And isn't that a wonderful testimony to an impact of parenting 
in, in one that is looking to walk with the Lord. Also, lastly, we have Sarah DeAngelis graduating from homeschool and is looking ahead to continuing to uh, work alongside her parents and, and learning in managing a household and taking care of her siblings that have special needs and had a long list of those that impacted their family, but specifically for Sarah, um, Julie, and um, Outman, and, and Abby McCarthy. And it's interesting how, how paths cross. Uh, Abigail is actually a member of our last ministry, and we know the McCarthy family very well. It's really neat to see how there's impact so much greater than sometimes our own direct community. As we think about these, though, we, we really congratulate graduates that they're hard work. We know it recognizes a milestone in their life. And, and we keep telling them, you need to learn. Your job, we tell our kids, is to, to learn. Your job is school. Our job is work. We get that. But you need to invest yourselves. This impacts your future. And what we're asking them to do is we're asking them to work hard, to sacrifice their time, to exercise wisdom by investing now or maybe a future or rewards that they don't see right now. And that's hard, especially for young kids. Listen, it's hard for us as adults too. And at the end of it, we get to say, well done. Well done, guys. Well, we know that that's not the end for these graduates. It's not like, hey, that's it, right? This is a life of continuing to sacrifice the moment that Terry desires for the you know, future goals Sometimes it's harder, but right now we can celebrate that threshold, that milestone. It's even to think about this, though. As we think about our Christian walk, as we think about a high school graduation, did, does that mean that every one of these graduates got perfect grades? Sometimes we miss that. I already saw one graduate shaking their head, no, I didn't get perfect grades. How many of us got perfect grades in high school? How many of us stayed out of the principal's office? Listen, I'd love to see a, a, a raise of hands and not all of our hands would be raised, I know. The fact is, it isn't that everybody gets perfect grades. You know, even 4.0 students use the extra credit, right? I'm sure there's some 4.0 students in here like, I, I did get good grades, we want extra credit. Perfect attendance, even homeschoolers have a sick day. I was a homeschooler, even homeschoolers have a sick day. As good as everybody else in every metric. You know, even as we think about graduation and school and everything else, we realize that it's a lot like the Christian life. We're, you know, we're not all straight-A students in this whole walk. There comes a point, though, that we do stand before our master, and it's not going to be whether you graduate or not, though that's also true. You're either a believer or not. You're truly saved or you're not. There comes a point where we're going to hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant, May we find out we haven't been his servant all along. And that's really the passage's point here this morning. I want my life to be commended by my Savior. And we're going to get through maybe some elements here that are a good reminder, not just for us as we consider what graduation looks like, as we honor those and encourage those to continue on this life of, of wisdom, sacrificing a moment for future gains, but also for us as we consider where are we in this. And if you look at your bulletin, you'll see that the title of this is We're Not There Yet, or Are We There Yet? I'm sorry, Are We There Yet? And you've probably heard that from the back seat if you're going on a family trip. Are we there yet? Are we? No, we're not there yet. But when we're on the path, 
What are some things to think through? So as we look at this, milestones in life, we know that even we who are maybe older than those graduates are still facing some milestones and hopefully looking ahead to that milestone of standing before our Lord. And the real question today, the real question, even as I looked at this, this one of only two passages, well done, that word well done, good and faithful servants, is will I hear him say that of me? And even as I talk to these graduates, the whole life is ahead of you. And you know, when you're young, you want to live a little. You may even say, you know, I don't want Jesus to come right away. I want to have some time to experience this life. Listen, when I was young, I thought that. But this is the same for each one of us, graduating or not graduating, almost graduated or already graduated. Will he look at my life and say, you were faithful to me. You were a good servant. Well done. I'll tell you part of my life, he definitely won't say that. And what basis will he look to that and say, good job. You know, in high school, we got grades, we got attendance, we got all this stuff. It's easy for us to know what that metric looks like. But as we look at Luke chapter 19, and we look at the context which is really important, I think, because these parables aren't just told in a vacuum. In fact, in Luke, they're connected very closely. We'll look at the content, which hopefully give us a little guidance and some, some encouragement. And we'll look at how that connects with us and maybe meet us where we sit this morning. Before we do that, let's open in a word of prayer and ask God to work through this time. Heavenly Father, we come before you and pray that you would know our hearts, that your spirit would reveal to us even now as we think through these things, how you are calling us either to be your servant, not being one now, maybe thinking that we were okay all this time, but knowing that we're not, or those that we truly do know we are your servant, but struggling because we do want to serve you well. We love you, and we want you to be honored by our lives, and we know that it hasn't been a perfect grade But we ask you to be pleased by us. And Lord, that you would be encouraging us through this, how great your mercy and your grace truly is. That you would help us, give us wisdom, give us the strength and direction, even from from these moments that we share over your word, to truly make the most of this time and all that you've given to us for your glory. And we pray this in your son's name. Amen. So as we look at this, I'd ask you to turn your attention to Luke chapter 19. We're going to just walk through this and hopefully not belabor the point, but at the same time, um, make good use of the time that we have here this morning. And I just want to give some context here. This is before the triumphal entry. All right, this is in Jericho on his way to Jerusalem. So, you know, not too far, probably 19 miles away from Jerusalem And as we look at this context, I'd ask you to start in verse 1 of chapter 19. I know that's not where the parable starts, but let's take a look at at verse 1 of chapter 19. He entered Jericho and was passing through, and behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. And you guys know Zacchaeus. He was a wee little man, right? We know the song. He He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, and Zacchaeus didn't say anything, 
Jesus simply looked up and said, Zacchaeus. He noticed the one who was not noticed. Hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. Can you imagine this seeing everyone all of a sudden looking up at the tree going, there's a dude up there. <laughs> Jesus wants him to come with us. And then they, re- they realized who he was. He hurried down and received him joyfully, received Jesus joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. Not only is there a man in the tree, but he's a wee little man. He's a man who takes our money, and we don't like it. And they grumbled against Jesus, saying, He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. That's actually a very technical term of the day. It's a very bad person. Reprehensible, maybe not worthy of God's grace. Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Notice these words, Behold, Lord, He's presenting half of his goods. I give to the poor, and if I defraud anyone of anything, I restore fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. Speaking of Abraham's faith, not all children of Abraham are true children, but all of us that share this faith in this one amazing God are children of Abraham. He is a son of Abraham indeed. I want to ask, as we look at this context, why was Jesus there? You may say, that there's, I don't know, that's a technical question. There's a lot of answers we could tack on it there, but why was Jesus there? Why was Jesus there in the ministry as a whole as much as in that house? You know, it ties to a question that we have to answer ourselves. Why are you here? Not just here. Well, why do you have breath in your lungs today? Why has God called you into your family and left you on this planet today? You know, as we look at this and ask that question, it does help us sort out maybe what a faithful servant looks like when we consider our purpose and our role. Notice what Jesus says. This is the next verse. Sometimes we chop up all this context and miss the point. Verse 11, he says... As they heard these things, he proceeded, I'm sorry, verse 10, I got the wrong verse. The Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. And there was no doubt that Zacchaeus was a lost man. Ever felt like you were lost and God's the one who redeemed you, claimed you as his own, accepted you? You know, that's the gospel. I hope that's every single one of us. Sometimes when we forget that we were lost, and saved, we, we do forget our purpose. We can miss it. That's what Jesus said, verse 10 of chapter 19, the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. He also said in John 17, you don't have to turn there, in verse 18, he said in the high priestly prayer, speaking to his Father, he said, listen, just as you have sent me into this world, I now send them into this world. We know the Great Commission, Matthew 28. We know, we know And as we put them up on the screen and as we read them in our scriptures, as we think through them in those moments, there's clarity, isn't there? Sometimes we get so distracted. Sometimes we get so sidetracked by hurts or maybe by idols that take place of God. You know, as graduates look ahead, it's easy to say, you know, that career, that direction... 
that education, those opportunities, those marriages, those children, those families, those possessions, those houses, fill in the blank, right? And when I get there, it's going to be so great. You know, those that are graduating, I need to hear some wisdom from some of those that are here and say, listen, don't get lost in all of the items along the way. Place your faith on Christ. Those things will sort themselves out, but if you don't get that right, those things will never be good enough. We know that here, the purpose Jesus even had. Let's keep reading as we look at Luke verse 11. Why does he share this parable? Why does this matter to us? Is just as connected as to why it mattered to them. His purpose in the text is important as we understand that purpose even this morning. Verse 11, as they heard these things, this is the same setting. He's in Zacchaeus' house. He just called a little guy out of a big tree and said, you're truly a child of God. He says, because he was near to Jerusalem, because they supposed that the kingdom of God was to appear. You see, even his disciples, right to the very end, arguing on their way to the Garden of Gethsemane, who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom? Everybody had this idea if they followed Jesus. This is before the triumphal entry. This is before they go and march into Jerusalem, and everyone's excited because the kingdom of heaven is coming. The kingdom of God is having. Jesus is going to come in. He's the Messiah. He's going to kick everybody out. He's going to make everything perfect. The reason why Jesus shared this parable is because he said, This isn't going to happen the way you guys think it's going to happen. You need to be thinking about something else than your temporal comfort. He shared this because he was near Jerusalem and they supposed that the kingdom of God, that seen on the horizon appearing is right there. We can taste it. All our problems are going to be solved. Everything's going to be wonderful. It's heaven on earth. Jesus is saying it's not going to be heaven on earth. On earth. Let's take a look at the content then. So that's the context. That's the context. The context of looking for heaven on earth and, and looking for that kingdom here in this world, which, you know, as a graduate, that's what you're looking ahead to a lot of times. Maybe as those of us that have been disappointed and never found it, need to be reminded this is not heaven. You would probably know that. We're not there yet. We will be. Let's keep reading. If you were to look at Luke 19, starting in verse 12. You guys ready? He said, therefore, this parable, because they thought there was going to be heaven on earth and there wasn't. He said, therefore, a nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and then return. Now, this really did happen. By the way, I'll save you the history lesson. If you're interested, it makes for a good story. It's um, filled with intrigue and all sorts of uh, political things tied to his immediate context historically. And so everybody knew what he was talking about. Like, oh, we've heard this story before. I wonder how this is going to end. Calling 10 of his servants, verse 13, he gave them 10 minus. And I just want to say it's about three months' wages. It's not a huge sum, but it's a significant amount. Overall, about 6,000 to each one. And he said to them, that would be the 10 servants, this is the command now, engage in business until I come. So this is the mission Take, take this money, basically, literally, and do something with it. Do something with it. But his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him, 
saying, we do not want this man to reign over us. Now, I want to point out, if you read the historical context, you know there's good reason why the Jews sent a delegation to Rome. In this case, there's absolutely no reason. They just didn't like him. They didn't want him. Did you notice, even in life, there's truth to this? People don't have to know anything about God to not really like him too much. And why is it that people use Jesus' name and God's name in vain and not all the other deities that are out there to choose from? You say, that's irrational. Yes, it is. And you see that here. We just don't like him. We don't want him. When he returned, verse 15, and I want to say it doesn't matter what anybody says, Jesus is going to return. He truly is king. You can't stop it. That's how the story goes. Having received the kingdom, he ordered these servants to whom he had given the money to be called to him, that he might know what they had gained. Notice what's the mission here. By doing business. Right? So this is the mission. And the first one came before him saying, Lord, and I just want to point out, if you were to just read Luke, and you weren't looking at the whole rest of the Bible, you were just sitting there reading Luke, the last time you saw Lord in the context was out of Zacchaeus' mouth, the guy that nobody liked, the one who was a wicked man and stole much and caused many people to go to bed hungry every night because of his trade. Very interesting. This faithful servant says, Lord, your mina has made ten minas more. Now, that's ten times the prophet here, right? Don't miss the fact that this is the king's country This is the king's economy. This is the king's result by being faithful in in the business he has established for this servant. And he said to them, the king said to him, well done, good. Now this is very important. What's the meaning of good? Meeting a high standard. It's interesting. It's It's kind of like the graduation. Perfect in every way? No, but... But you are good. You are good because you are faithful. A high standard of worth, a high standard of merit for the benefit of others. You are a good servant because you have been faithful. This is the the result. Faithful, trustworthy, dependable. You've been faithful in very little, really. It's just three months' wages. Notice what he says there. You shall have authority over ten cities. Just sit and think about that. What a crazy, disproportionate result. Because it was noting the faithfulness. It isn't about the amount. It's about the character of the servant, right? So he has a small amount. He's given rule over ten cities. And notice in verse 18, the second came saying, Lord, your mind has made five minus. And he said to him, you will be over five cities. So it's proportionate to the outcome, outcome according to ability, but still beyond anything that would be rationally deserved. Then came the other saying, Lord, here is your mind. And you probably know the story. I kept it hid away, laid away in a handkerchief, not even buried for safekeeping. If you read Matthew 25, I'll let you do that, but... He didn't even bury it in this story. He just, like, would he lose it in a pocket or something and just say, well, I'll just leave it there on the shelf in the handkerchief? For I was afraid of you. Now, this is his excuse. Did he do what he was supposed to do? 
He didn't earn anything. That's not the point. The, the, the point is he didn't do anything. See, the, the implication here of the rest is if you would have just done something, you would have earned something. This is a crazy economy. Nothing at all. So what did he do? He did what he wanted. Oh, man, I tell you what. I, we live in a culture that drives home this idea, just do what you want. Even to the graduates, what are you going to major in? Well, I don't know. What do you want to do? Underwater basket weaving. $60,000 bachelor's degree. What are you going to do with that? I don't know, but I want to do it. Not to make light of those directions or decisions. I don't know. Maybe we need underwater baskets woven. This is not about what I want. This servant thought it was. Notice what he goes on to say. I was afraid of you. Really? Really? So afraid I did nothing for you. Because you were a severe man, you take what you did not deposit, you reap what you did not sow. This is actually very different than the other two servants. Think about how humbly the other two servants came before the Lord and said, well, here, Lord, here is your mina, and this is what's happened from it. To this guy, this is like an indictment. This is an accusation. He's calling him a thief. There's no love. There's no gratitude. There's this idea that you're gonna, I'm going to work hard and then you're going to come back and you're just going to take it all anyways. That's what he's saying. I don't know if it's the truth. It's more of an excuse. Notice verse 22, what the master says. He said to him, I will condemn you with your own words, you wicked, evil, worthless, base, Servant, You knew, and you could put air quotes on that, right? You knew, if you knew I was a severe man taking what I did not deposit and reaping what I did not sow, why then, if that's rationally the case, did you not do something like put money in the bank? And at my coming, I'd at least collect the interest. Did he really believe this? You know, he didn't even do the bare minimum he, didn't even, he did nothing. He was kind of on the, the ride with the rest of God's servants. We don't know what he was gaining from it, but he was in it for himself. See, not only did he waste the opportunity with the money that was given to him in this story, but he used the time that was given to him for himself. Our time is a commodity of God that he's given to us. We often forget to think about managing It's not just a tangible, it's everything, all that we are. Notice verse 25. He said to those who stood by, take the mina from him and give it to the one who has ten. And what's the response? They said to him, Lord, he has ten minas. There's some people that even argue whether or not this verse is supposed to be in there. It's supposed to be in there because it's part of the outrageous reality of God's grace. Did the guy with ten minas deserve the ten in the first place? No. Does he deserve one more just as much as he didn't deserve the rest? I guess. Of all the people in that crowd, does Zacchaeus deserve to be a child of God? Do I deserve to be a servant of God? Do I deserve to be up here at all? Do any of us? The answer is no. 
Verse 26, I'd ask you to underline this in your Bible if you don't already have it. This is really a a crucial lesson here. I tell you that to everyone who has, more will be given, but from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. You might say, wow, that's a mind twister. What does that even mean? We're going to look at that. As for those enemies of mine who did not want me to reign over them. And listen, if you are not, and I'd be very foolish to stand here and think that there is not truly an enemy of God in this midst or watching online who's here because they have to be but hate him in their heart. I'm not saying that's all of us. But if it's true, notice there is an end. Do not be the enemy of God. We'll also find out it's not wise to be a false servant of God. Let's take a look, though, at the connection here. The connection. And hopefully my voice holds out as we look at this. And I'm going to flip ahead a little bit as we look at the connections of verse 19. I really want to focus on a few things this morning, just three, as we look at this. First is that this is a time for salvation. Jesus did not come to rule the first time around. He will. He came to save. He, he came to be that sacrifice for sin. He did not right the wrong. This is one of the reasons why they were so angry at him. He, he did not bring heaven to earth for them. He did not punish the wicked. In fact, he called sinners to repentance and forgave them. He did not fix all social ills. There's a lot of Christians today that are looking to fix all social ills. Guess what? Jesus didn't even. That's not why he came. That's not this time he will. In fact, not only did he not fix all social ills, he suffered under them and under the injustice of them all. Ultimately, as well as just historically, politically. You know, he didn't even fix the environment. You might say this is a trivial point. It isn't really because what we see when he does return, he fixes this broken world. After some very horrible judgments in Revelation that completely destroy it. Much worse than anything we've seen yet. Now this is a time for salvation and we can't miss that. That's the immediate context. And if you were to ask, well, what is it that the master has given to us when he gave us the mina? What is the mission? In the story, it's the money, go do business. For us, it's the mission of being a disciple Sharing the gospel that others would know him as a disciple. Growing in our discipleship and as we learn, teaching others to grow and follow him more and more each day. This is a time for salvation. He will come and reign. We will all, every single person watching or sitting here this morning will stand before, I should say actually kneel before this king. What should we be focused on? What should we be busy about? 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 2 says, Now is the favorable time. Now is the day of salvation. Which brings us to knowing the roles and knowing maybe the mission here a little bit better. What are these groups? What are these groups? And as we look at these groups, it's really, it's a little different than um, chapter 25 of Matthew. Matthew's got different groups. There's only two there. There's three here. I think the context is really helpful. You have the faithful servants, 
the false servants and the enemies. And, and why is this so important? Because as you look at this flow you, of, of, of the narrative, you, you realize just how patient God is, how patient Jesus is in the midst of this. He has faithful servants he's talking to directly. He has at least one very false servant within the 12. And he's talking to many that aren't his servants of all and really his enemies. Just look at Luke chapter 18. I'd ask you to just walk through. If you've got your Bible with you, look at verse 43. He heals a blind man. He says in verse 42, Recover your sight, your faith has made you well. And immediately, verse 43 of chapter 18 in Luke He recovered his sight and followed him, glorifying God. Notice, this is this whole throng. They're outside Jericho. They're headed into Jericho. There's this blind man. He heals them, and everybody sees it and goes, wow, all the people, when they saw it, gave praise to God. They gave praise to God. Let's keep reading. Luke 19, verse 5. Zacchaeus. This is our context. He climbs down out of the tree, and when they saw that, who's they? The same group, the same group of people. When they saw it, they all did what? They grumbled. So literally, just outside the gates, you're praising God because this blind man can see, and now we look at the sinner come out of the tree, and they're just like, oh, this guy, he's going to go eat with a sinner. Grumbling. They said groups. You know, later in Jerusalem... After the parable, and maybe you can flip ahead to chapter 22. You don't have to follow along. I'll just skip through real quickly. You know, in the garden, verse 48, chapter 22, verse 48, you see a false servant. See, that whole crowd that grumbled and praised and grumbled and praised, they were the ones that went in with Christ into Jerusalem, and he didn't take over the town. He threw out everybody out of the temple. He he humiliated the Pharisees and He kept talking about how great he was and was truly the son of God. And finally in the garden when everybody's expectations were dashed, we see in verse 48, Jesus said to him, Judas, would you betray the son of man with a kiss? He didn't get what he wanted. Judas sold him out to get what he could in the moment because that's all he cared about. He didn't care about Jesus. He didn't care about what they were going to do to him. In the courtyard, I do have these here. I apologize so you guys can follow along. In the courtyard in Luke chapter 22, we see Peter. Was he faithful? Did he really love Jesus? Well, yeah. Did he get it all right? Did he have a 4.0 average? No, Peter remembered Luke 22 verse 61 the saying of the Lord and how he had said to him before the rooster crows today you will deny me three times and he went out and he wept bitterly. Have you ever been there personally knowing that you were operating in the flesh you drifted a lot farther than you thought and you woke up one day and realized what am I doing? How did I get here? That was Peter. Jesus warned him you stay close Watch and pray. You can't stay awake for one hour. Watch and pray. Oh, I'll never, I'll never deny you, Lord. <laughs> Pride leads to a fall, Peter. He found that fall. Did God throw him away? Isn't it great? 
Good and faithful is not perfect. So thankful. Notice, continuing on though, Luke 23, finally and in disgust, not just in the courtyard, we see the crowd, verse 18, Luke 23, 18, that same crowd, at least part of it, that had praised God because a blind man was healed and grumbled because a short little sinner climbed out of a tree, excited that he would overthrow the Roman Empire when they walked in those gates just a week earlier, is standing there and they said, they cried all together, away with this man, release us Barabbas. Pilate said, listen, once more, you want to release Jesus. But they kept shouting, crucify him, crucify him. And he said a third time, why? What evil has he done? I found him not guilty of deserving death. And they were urgent, demanding that he be crucified, and they prevailed. You know, you see three groups here. Not just in the parable, but you have the three groups even in the narrative. Faithful servants, not perfect. Don't forget Acts 2. Peter's the one that preaches boldly, doesn't he? You see, 3,000 saved that day. God didn't throw them away. He just got them back to work, got them back on mission. Said, all right, quit wasting this. Use that talent. Use what I've given to you, all that you are. You know, we did it a little bit better. What about, as we look not just at the faithful servants, but the false servants? And this is very concerning. This is probably one of the biggest things to wrestle through. And I'm not sitting here saying everyone needs to doubt whether or not you're truly saved. But I want to ask, are you truly saved? Nothing worse than to have a pattern of coming to the church and sitting in a pew or sitting in chairs and saying, you know, I'm good, I'm all right, this is working for me. And not truly being a servant of God. Do you really humble yourself before the Lord and say, I I can't believe you, you accept me. I'm thankful that it's because of what Christ did. But would you help me live for you? If that's not your heart, you gotta really ask yourself because you're gonna stand one day before him He's going to say, what about you? And every part of your life and every reason why and every what, even that nobody knows, you're going to look through. And I'll tell you what, that makes me shake in my shoes. And the only reason why I have any confidence to see him and I look forward to it is because I say, I got nothing. It's what Christ did. And Lord, if you can sort something good out of that, that's for you. It's not me. False servants will always be revealed. And of course, I already said it's about enemies. But as I think about Acts 2, I think about this group that started in Jericho and went to Jerusalem and later cried out for the death of Christ. If you thought about in Acts 2, how many realized, wait a minute, I was in that story. I remember him telling this story. This is a king and he is raised as Peter declared. And they saw it with their own eyes, this work of the Spirit of Pentecost. When Peter boldly, not thrown away, but as a servant faithful to God, not perfect, preached and said, you crucified him. The foreknowledge of God, yes, 
but you crucified him, killed by lawless hands. Well, 3,000 of them said, oh, I don't want to be on the wrong end of that relationship. God is so gracious, he grants repentance even to those that butchered his son on that cross. He cried out to the Lord, the Father, and says, forgive them, they do not know what they are doing. So those are the two, the three groups, right? The fact that this time is a time of salvation. The Great Commission is our mission. We fit in various ways and various roles, various careers, various positions, all a part of what God has for us. And that's our business. Is it our business? You know, our business as we look at the beauty of God's grace, our business that this is not graded on a curve, this is graded by grace. <laughs> Focusing on that day when we do graduate. Asking the question, will I hear Jesus say, well done? I trust that I will, but not because of what I've done, but because of what he has done. Even as he has called me to serve him. Even as he has called me to walk with him. I ask you to ask, am I an enemy? I hope not. We don't want that. Am I a false servant? I hope not. Maybe that's the worst of it all, thinking we're okay and we're not. Am I faithful? Am I in it for me? Am I looking to serve God in all that I do? As we look at this honoring God with my whole life, what do I need to have? What do I need to do? And as I look at this, how quickly our time goes in all this. Well, let's look at John 15. Would you look at John 15 with me? All that I have and all that God has called us to in ways that we don't know, fruit that flows from the heart. Because we can be in a position where we start to get really scared, maybe. Maybe overly anxious. And in the works of the flesh, we're trying, okay, in the power of the flesh, I want to do better. I, just, I want to be that servant. I want to be the guy with ten. I don't want to be a guy with five. We start getting competitive about it. Listen, serve the Lord with all that you have. And all of that will sort itself out. But the key here is that the fruit flows from the heart, right? Fruit flows from the heart. And as we look at John 15, if you're there with me, we'll just look at it very briefly. Of course, you know, Jesus is saying there, the upper room with his disciples, I am the vine. My father is a vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Just so you know, we're the branches. He is the vine. We are connected to him. And I'm sure all of us have faced some pruning in our life. Aren't you glad, though? Maybe it hurt when he pulled some of those things out of our life or killed a couple of our dreams. Maybe some trials. We never knew could work out for good. God used it for that in our life. We've been pruned, focused on the mission. Already you are clean, he says, because of the word I've spoken to you. This is the command. Abide in me. Listen, we can't do this without him. And I can't sit here and say, this is God's will for your life, other than to look at this and say, God's will for your life is to abide in him. You know, as you do that, he sorts that out. Exactly how he's called and created you to do, be. Whoever abides as a branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Verse 4, neither can you unless you abide in me. This is pretty clear. 
We can't do this on our own. If we think we're going to be the super Christian, the ten talent man on our own, we've missed the point. Jesus says, not without me you don't. Not without me you don't. Whoever, verse 5, abides in me and I am him, it is he that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. It's interesting, you go all the way down to verse 8. One of the ends of all this is as you abide in him and you produce fruit, you prove that you are truly a follower of Christ. Prove to be my disciples. That's an amazing thing. You see, it works itself out if we're close to him. Problem is, is it's really easier said than done. It's not like a test you study for and you get an A. We wish it was so simple sometimes. Galatians 5. You guys know Galatians 5. As we look at abiding, we also see the fruit in walking. And you know that the works of the flesh are things that we work and we do and are results of those actions and directions. Fruit is what comes from life outside of those. It's that work of the Spirit in our life when we submit to that. And you know that, that list, love, joy, peace. You know you're fruitful when you're at peace. Did you know that? When you're loving. You know, on the top of my sheet here, I have, are we there yet? I don't have Galatians 5 down yet. How about you? I'm not there yet all the time, but I'm growing and I'm learning. And so as we think through all of these things, fruits, walking the Spirit, abiding with Christ, am I going to have these three questions fleshed out? in a positive way that impacts my life? I hope so. You know, whose servant am I really? Am I, am I really his servant? And maybe thinking through in your own life, what's been entrusted to me? And it's a little different for each one of us because we're all different. But all that we are and all that I am is all that God calls to serve him. Each one of us is a little different. To sort those aspects out, being close to the Lord. I love Proverbs 3. Don't you guys love Proverbs 3? I'm sure we've probably all memorized it at various times in our life. If you haven't, I encourage you to do that. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. As simple as these words are, 5 and 6, verses 5 and 6, I'm still learning to do this. Trust in the Lord with all your heart? Boy, sometimes that's hard. Lean not on your own understanding. Guess what? That's hard for me too. Sometimes look around and it doesn't make any sense to me. I start thinking, I can sort this out better than God, or I need to sort this out better than God, or I got a better plan than God. Lean not on your own understanding. In all of your ways, you see, this is the servant part. Everything that I do, acknowledge him. This is for him. Lord, I don't know. I mean, save this fool from his foolishness, but best I can understand it, this is what you'd have me do. This is for you. I'm going to do it in a way that honors you. He will direct your path. Did you know that's a result of the rest of it? Trusting, acknowledging. Sometimes we want the direction first and we don't want to do the trust and the the rest. God helps us. He wants us to serve. He's created us for good works that he's prepared beforehand. It's not a big mystery. So the graduates, God's plan and purpose for you really matters. Don't get distracted. Don't get distracted. And for the rest of us, you know, we continue to take our time and our talents and personalities and opportunities and all we are to invest. That leads to the, what will I present? If I was in this story and I were to come before the Lord today and say, look, Lord, this is what, this is what your stuff did. 
What would that be? I thought about that. Maybe you guys got a better answer than I do. Because in part, I'd say, well, I have to present something. I'd say the first is I'm a changed person. I'm not who I used to be. What will I present? I don't know. I could point to a lot of lives and say, wow, you know, it seems like there was good here. It seems like there was good there. Would you turn one last passage? We're going to be done this morning. I, I just ask you to look at 1 Corinthians. This is Paul's perspective. Would you look there? Just one last passage. 1 Corinthians chapter 4. 1 Corinthians chapter 4. He warns us about committing judgment beforehand. This is how one should regard us, verse 1, 1 Corinthians chapter 4, as servants of Christ. Does that word have a sweetness to it now this morning? A sweetness? I'm just a servant of God. I, I want him to be honored in my life. He bought me. I'm Zacchaeus. I climbed out of a tree. He called me. I follow him. It's all for him. I'm a servant of Christ. Notice, a steward, a manager, responsible for the mysteries of God. Moreover, it's required of a manager, right, that they be found faithful. In other words, you have a consistency of just doing what is in the interest of the one who entrusted you with this. But with me, it's a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. And in our pride, in our flesh, we probably have thought this. Like, I don't care what you think about me. I don't care what anyone has to say about me. You know, in this world, we have a little attitude like that. I mean, balance and humility, because it's subjected to greatness and supremacy of Christ, it's good. We've got to be careful with this attitude if it's in the flesh. But notice what he says. It's a small, very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In other words, that's not what really matters, what you think. It doesn't matter what others in your life think, really. In fact, I do not even judge myself. You know what he's saying? He's like, listen, I could sit here and say, I'm pretty good. I got it all sorted out. Or we could be one who is inclined to say, everything I do is terrible. It's one or the other, usually. What he's saying is, you know what? My opinion doesn't even matter. I mean, I've got one. I'd share it with you. But ultimately, ultimately, even if I'm not happy or am happy with myself, that's not what matters. Verse 4, I'm not aware of anything against myself, but I'm not thereby acquitted. It is the Lord who judges me. I think about this when I ask the question, what will I present to the Lord? You know what I can do is say, here it is. I don't know. I mean, I think I do, but Lord, I trust you. Are you pleased with my life? Whether we eat, whether we drink, we do all things to the glory of God every moment, every day. Verse 5, he warns us not to pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, before every one of us as servants brings to him the mina that has been entrusted to us and says, well, here you go, Lord, this is the fruit. He will be the one, verse 5, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness, which is a, a good thing when we're trying to serve the Lord. It's scary thing when we're not. He will be the one that discloses the purpose of the heart and then each one will receive his commendation from God. So the answer to the question, I don't know. But as a manager, as a steward of God's grace, I've got to be asking these questions. And I think about Proverbs 3 and I just submit it to him and say, God, here it is. I'm going to stay close to you. 
I'm going to measure the fruits of the Spirit in my life, and I'm glad I'm not being graded on a 4.0. I was never a 4.0 student, by the way. I'm glad I can be like Peter. You don't just throw me away. And you'll direct my paths because I need that. There's a story, and I'm going to close with this this morning. You may have heard this, Henry C. Morrison. Are we there yet? The answer is no, we're not. We will be. Are you there that spiritually? Probably not. No, but we aren't. All of us, we're growing. And it's kind of interesting because as you do some background on this guy, I'd be careful. I even wondered whether or not I should share this because it's hard to find good information. So I'm just summing it up. Henry C. Morrison, the myth, the legend. But there's been a lot written about him. I wish I had a picture to share with you. I don't, not knowing exactly who he is. But even Anne Graham wrote about this story coming back from Africa. Whether it's 25 or 40 years of ministry, you're not sure. Accounts vary. But Teddy Roosevelt was on the same ship coming back from Africa. And they were pulling into the port. And, of course, there's this huge gathering. There's reporters. There's a band even in in a couple stories. And Teddy walks off and everyone's acclaim. is great. And Henry and his wife are there on the boat, and they have a hard time actually getting off the ship because everybody's there. They have a hard time getting a ride to the mission house where they go. He was sick. He was not well. He spent his whole life serving the Lord. Depending on the variation of the story you hear, whether they're at the boat landing or later in their mission house, he was just really struggling and saying, what's the point? Like, here's this guy killing animals in Africa for a couple of weeks, and he gets all this acclaim He gets all of this welcome, and we can't even get a ride home. And apparently in one of his stories, the wife said, listen, you really need to get this straight. You can't keep going like this. And they went into the bedroom, spent some time with the Lord. You know that whole vine thing, John 15? And said, God, you know what? I got a problem with this. And he wrestled before the Lord. I guess about 10, 15 minutes later, he came out of the bedroom. He's completely different encouraged and his wife's like whoa what happened there and he's like well i was praying i just was really broken i was just being honest you know we'd be honest with the lord when we're angry frustrated and discouraged don't know and he said I, I just heard this quiet voice almost like he put his hand on my shoulder and just whispered in my ear and says you're not home yet you're not home yet i hope that's an encouragement this morning because whether this story is true or not it's the truth And I'm encouraged because we're going to be there. Every single one of us that knows the Lord is going to be there. And we don't know the half of what God has done through our life. But he asks us to be faithful when we don't understand. He asks us to trust him when we don't know. And he asks us to persevere even when it seems like everything's going the other way. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're amazed by your grace You know, a lot of times we start feeling pretty entitled, like we're owed or deserve something greater or different. The truth is we're just not owed anything, and and you've taken us, you've pulled us out of that tree, you've called us down and into your family, and, and truly we're amazed that not only we are your servants, but that we're still your servants. The best way we know how, we just come before you and we praise your goodness We praise your love. We praise your grace. We ask you to somehow to sort out good in our life. 
We pray that you continue to call us to walk close to you, that we'd be in that place for you to direct our hearts in the way that you'd have us go. Strengthen our faith, we pray, that we would trust you when it's hard. Open our eyes to the ways that you are working. And Lord, in some ways, just be pleased by all that we do, even today, in your son's name. Amen. Would you please stand again and join us as we close our